last week we did cover, we were in Romans chapter 4, and I said that was kind of the, the backdrop or the, or the prologue or the preface to this entire sermon series because Romans 4 talks about Abraham and his faith and the fact that Abraham had faith in God who calls into existence things that don't exist. And Scripture opens with the words, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we know, I know that most of us are probably very familiar with the creation account, whether or not we've done a deep study of the book of Genesis or not. The vast majority of us are fairly familiar with the creation account. Knowing that as Christians, the biblical account is that God literally spoke everything into existence. It's not as if he had to, or it's not as if he even had the option of taking substance that was already there and then putting that substance together and working it and molding it and making something. No, he spoke all things into existence out of nothing. Out of nothing. God spoke. And creation was. Now later on we'll get into the actual six days of creation and the rest on the seventh day. And the what that means for us today and the Christian worldview. And today that, that's something that I really want to hit strongly. The Christian worldview. Now what is a worldview? We'll just switch those words around. The worldview is the way that we view the world. Simple enough, right? But sometimes we as Christians, I, I, I feel like we, we, lose, we lose the focus of the fact that as believers, that should literally shape and mold everything we think about life itself. Every, every facet of our existence should be molded and shaped by the fact that we believe that God is... Two very simple words. But the longer you sit and ponder those two words, the longer you sit and think about those two words, God is. To put it another way, consider what God told Moses to call him when Moses said, when I go back to the people in Egypt and I tell them that I'm here to lead you out, what if they say, well, who sent you? What am I to say? And God's response was, tell them, I am has sent you. I am that I am. God is. The longer we ponder that, I hope that, that we will be brought to the place where we, where we start to comprehend. Well, because God is, that changes everything. We don't, we don't have an existence where there is no God. We don't. We don't live in a world that is here by accident. The world is not full of people that are here by accident. We are not just the result of of chance. We are not the result of matter just crashing against one another until, boom, mankind existed. We are not the result of some big bang. We are not the result of some primordial soup where 
matter and stuff just started to ooze out and then lo and behold, millions of years later, humans. There is purpose and there, there is design behind all of life. Even suffering. We, as Christians, are really, and maybe we've never even considered this before, but I urge you, consider it. If God is, that means that all of Scripture is true, and Scripture is God's testimony concerning Himself, but that also leads us to the place where we as Christians, we're the only people that have the actual answer as to why there is suffering in the world. Some of the, some of the wisest minds that have ever existed, some of the smartest men and women that have ever existed, have all asked the same question. Well, why do, why do bad things happen? Why are there tragedies in life? And some, even people who don't believe in God, they will use this as their argument against God. They will say, well, if God exists, why do bad things happen? And Scripture answers all of these questions that people have Clearly, many of the wisest, smartest minds that have ever lived have grappled with the question, why are we here? We just can't really put our finger on exactly, precisely why each and every one of us is here. Why do we exist at all? What is the point of life? What is the reason for our existence? Do we just exist to do whatever we want to do, have the most fun and have the most pleasure in our life as we could possibly have because when we die, that's it. So the reason that we exist is for, for joy and pleasure and just to, uh, to live life to the fullest because once we die, that's it. This is all we got. Is that the reason that we're here? That's the predominant theme or idea that is accepted by the world today. Pursue your dreams. Chase your goals. Accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. Well, if God is, then that answer doesn't suffice. Because we say, well, God is. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And not only did God create the heavens and the earth, God created mankind. God created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve did not exist to just do whatever they wanted to do and have the most fun and, and, and have the most pleasure out of life that they could possibly have. Adam and Eve didn't exist just for that purpose. We're told in Scripture that we are to be obedient to God. We are to live for Him. We are to obey His commands. So all of existence isn't for ourselves. We exist for His glory. Well, that flips the script totally on its head. What the world says is, follow your own heart. Do what makes you happy. Pursue your own dreams and your goals. Scripture says, you exist for God, not yourself. And all of these, all of these things that I mentioned and kind of quickly right here, we'll dive more deeply into them the further into Genesis we go. But today, we're literally just looking at the first two verses. Last week, again, Romans 4. Paul says that Abraham had faith in God who calls into existence the things that don't exist. 
In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That didn't exist previously. God created those things. He brought into existence something that did not exist. Once we get down to the point that Adam and Eve are created, we'll be able to say the same thing. Adam didn't exist previously. Eve did not exist previously. God brought them into existence. Last week we talked about the nation of Israel. There was no nation of Israel. Abraham was not born an Israelite. Abraham was the son of pagan parents. And God said, Abram, you get up and you go to a land that I'm preparing. I've, I've chosen you. I've called you. Go to the land that I'm preparing for you. I will make you the father of many nations. And we have the nation of Israel being called into existence through the birth of Isaac. And all of God's promises being fulfilled. That didn't exist previously. But here in Genesis, this literally sets the stage for everything we believe as Christians. And sadly, you will meet people today that they will say things such as, Well, I'm a Christian, but I don't, I don't believe in a six-day creation. I don't believe that God literally just spoke everything into existence. Well, I'm a Christian, but I believe that, you know, there was day one and then there was millions and millions and millions of years. And then everything else happened. And you'll get Christians that were, they act like they're confused on what the Bible actually teaches about creation. It's very plain. It's very simple. God spoke. And it was six days. It was a literal six day creation. And on the seventh day, he rested. And we'll see again, as the deeper we go into this, you'll see that that is not hard to comprehend. It's not hard to see on the pages of Scripture. God created all things in six days. On the seventh day, He rested. But you'll hear all sorts of crazy things. Well, each day could have been like thousands or millions of years. Well, between that first day and that second day, I think there was millions of years, and then God started the next portion of creation. All of that has to be inserted and imported into the Scriptures. You say, well, Caleb, at the end of the day, it is, it is a lot to take in. That some being out there could create everything as we know it, and everything that we see, that it could be done in, in six literal days. I mean, that's just... Okay, consider a couple of the alternatives that we've already talked about. Well... There was a big bang. And then out of that big bang, there was earth and, and order. There was mankind. Now, mankind came millions of years later, but there was dinosaurs and then there was all these other animals. And then all throughout, all throughout those millions and millions of years, later on, you got humans. Does that not sound a little hard to believe? Well, there was this primordial goop with all these uh, cells and bacteria and organisms and living things and then little by little things started to form and then millions of years later you got mankind does that not sound a little hard to believe but again i come back to these two simple words god is if god is then He is the only one who has authority over all things. 
He's the only one great and mighty enough and powerful enough to literally speak things into existence. You say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, that is what our entire existence, our life as we know it, it hinges upon that. Because here we are, we're all living physical beings here in this church house today. We know that there's thousands and millions of people all around us in this town and in the counties, surrounding counties, in our state, in the other, in the other states, in the U.S. There's people all around us. And it all their existence hinges upon the fact of, do you acknowledge God? And do you submit to His authority over all things? Or do you reject God? And you say, Caleb, is it, does it really boil down to that? Does it really come down to that simple? Do you acknowledge God? Do you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord? Or do you reject and rebel against God? Does it, do you think it really comes down to, to that? Yeah. Everybody believes something. Everybody believes something about where we came from, why we're here, what's the point of our existence. Everybody believes something about that. And there's only one right, true answer. And that, script, and that answer is found in Scripture. The Word of God. That answer is given by God Himself. I want you to notice something. Turn to Romans 1 real quick. Romans chapter 1. Listen to what is said in Romans 1. Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So what is unrighteous sinful man doing constantly? Suppressing the truth. Well, what truth are they suppressing? What can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. Everybody believes something about why we exist, why we're here, what's the point of life. Scripture tells us that ultimately though, every single person knows that God exists. Well, Caleb, that can't be true because there's atheists who say that they don't believe God exists. So you're telling me that the atheist who says that he doesn't believe that God exists actually knows that God exists? Yes. Say, well, Caleb, how can that be possible? Because that atheist is suppressing the truth in their unrighteousness. Say, Caleb, where do you get that crazy idea from? What do we just read? Now listen. You say, okay, how has God made Himself plainly known to everybody? How can this be true? How is it true that Every single person really does know that God exists. He's just ignoring it or rebelling against it or suppressing that truth. For His, God's, God's invisible attributes, namely, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So creation of the world, that takes us all the way back to Genesis. That's what we're studying. So, since the, ever since the creation, God's power and His divine nature has been clear. The world around us as we know it could not have happened by chance. It could not have happened by accident. The, 
the only explanation for the world as we know it around us is God exists. God is. And He is the reason that any of creation is here. His divine nature and eternal power have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. You look at trees. You say, you know, it's really amazing that oak trees produce more oak trees and pine trees produce more pine. I mean, how is there not confusion there? How has there never been an oak tree that came from a pine tree? How has there never been a sunflower that came from a daisy? You know, there is an order in those things. Well, if we read the creation account, guess what it says? God made everything to produce after its own kind. God put an order there. Not only did God create, but He set things in order. Apple trees don't produce orange trees. Right? You've never walked up to an apple tree and say, where did this cluster of grapes come from? It's an apple tree. You're going to get apples from it. And that, that truth is fixed. It's never, there's, there's not going to come a day where you go up to an apple tree and pick a cluster of grapes. It is fixed. You can't change it. Well, who, who set that in order? Birds don't give birth to dogs. Bird eggs don't hatch and you got little canine puppies. It don't happen. If that were to happen, everybody in all of creation would say, What? That is not what is supposed to happen. What in the world? What got crossed up? What got mixed up? How did this happen? Who set that in order? Who decided that birds produce more birds? Dogs produce more dogs. Cats produce more cats. Who decided that that was going to be the order? Humans produce more humans. Who decided that that was going to be the created order? God. So you can go outside and you look at the trees, the flowers, the plants. We've got a lot of farmers around here. When you plant a crop of peanuts, you're not going to harvest onions. Right? Am I wrong on that? I mean, Kelly Folsom would tell you I'm not a very good farmer. But when you put onion seed into the ground, what are you going to reap? When you plant a field of watermelon, are you going out there? Are you going to go out in the field one day and say, "Oh man, this, these watermelons seed that it produced the best corn I've ever had"? No, it doesn't work that way. Who decided that it's not going to work that way? There is order to stuff, and you say, "Yeah, but you almost got kind of silly with that." No, sometimes you need to bring it back to the bare bones. And one of the ways that Christians can bring it back to the bare bones of everything is to go back to the book of Genesis and say, look, God created everything. God is the one who decides what is what and how stuff works and the order of things. God is the one who, God is the one who decides what truth is because God is truth. And here in Romans 1, we see plainly Unrighteous man suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. Now, what does it look like? What are the results? What fruit is produced when unrighteous man suppresses the truth? How will they start to respond? 
What will they start to worship instead? Because we're all going to worship something. It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. These things have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. So they, unrighteous man, they are without excuse. Verse 21 of Romans 1 now. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now a couple of things there. Why do we exist? To honor God and to give thanks. We are to submit to God's authority and we are to praise Him and honor Him and give thanks to Him for the life that we have. For the creation that we get to enjoy. Consider that. That's one more thing. God could have made creation look like whatever He wanted it to look like. Have you ever thought about the fact that the vast majority of people, believers and non-believers alike, when people behold something that is truly beautiful, we all agree, right? When you're able to watch a sunset in the mountains or on the beach, whichever one you prefer, we're mountain people. But if you're at the mountains or at the beach and you get to see this beautiful sunset... Typically, everybody else around you is thinking the same thing, right? Wow. This is amazing. Creation is beautiful. Wow. When you see something that is truly beautiful, it's amazing how all of mankind can actually be in agreement in that moment, right? Hey, do you think this is beautiful? Well, duh. Who wouldn't think this is beautiful? Guess what? Who decided that the sun would rise and set and the 24-hour period would be called a day? Who decided that we would actually be able to behold the stars at night and see the beauty of creation? Who decided that when we as human beings, when we see trees and plants and when we see the fruits of our labor and we see a harvest come from something that we planted and we're providing for our family and providing for others when we see stuff like that there would just be something inherently within us that we said beautiful amazing wonderful who decided that the sky would be blue and the grass would be green That's just something that we, we take that for granted, right? The sky's blue, the grass is green. That's never going to change. Who decided that colors would be what they were? It doesn't matter where you go in the globe. What language you're speaking to. Blue is blue, red is red, orange is orange. The colors are the same. Here's one for you. I like talking about this one. And probably most of y'all do too because we're all Baptists. We love to eat. You realize God could have created a world where everything tasted the same. Now, and I, I'm, not, I'm not just trying to be cutesy with this. I'm being sincere. I want you to really think about this. Food is something that we enjoy. There is, there, there is a type of pleasure that we get for, from partaking of food. And we particularly like food that is exquisite. That is really, really good. Right? When, when you go out to a steakhouse, you could order a steak and you could say, oh, that steak was amazing. It was seasoned beautifully, had melted butter on top of it. it was, oh, my goodness, steak was to die for. You go to a different steakhouse and say, well, I love steak, but that steak just wasn't that good. Well, why wasn't that good? Well, the seasoning, they didn't really season it. Well, who decided that we would actually get to enjoy things 
such as partaking of food. God could have made a world where eating food really was just to get sustenance. And there was no, there was no enjoyment. It was just, well, i got to eat or I'm going to die, so let me just eat this stuff over here. There's not really any, everything tastes the same. We actually get to enjoy and savor food. Different herbs, different spices. That's amazing. God didn't have to make it that way. But He did. God wants us to enjoy His creation. Right? God could have made it where we just exist. But He wants us to to enjoy His creation. He wants us to be relational beings. Can you imagine living in a world where human beings did not have emotion? And we didn't know how to have relationships? God could have made it that way. Where each and every individual person really was just independent. We didn't need relationships. We didn't need friendships. We could just be self-contained. And we did not know how to love or have compassion or feel towards other people. But He didn't create it that way. And we should be thankful. We should give Him thanks. God, thank You for creating such an amazing world that we get to exist in. Our life is Yours. But I would venture to say that there are very, very few people who think about life that way. I would even venture to say that there are very, very few people who call themselves Christians who think that way. We are a greedy, ungrateful, proud people. And if we would just stop to consider that we don't deserve any of it, and that we didn't have a say in any of it. We're not the ones who decided that, that creation would be beautiful. We're not the ones who decided that, that, oh, let's make a human being to where we can actually taste things and enjoy different tastes. Some stuff sweet, some stuff bitter. We have no say in that. We are just the benefactors and the recipients of God's power and His might. And He brought us into existence. And as Christians, we are the benefactors and recipients of His grace and His mercy that did not leave us dead in our trespasses and sin. But we don't wake up every morning and think about those things. We have the audacity to just wake up in the morning and think, well, i got to get some stuff done today. I got to work, work, work. I got to do it. And we don't, sometimes we don't even want stop to think, God, thank you for allowing me to have a life at all. Because what I deserve is to be dead. And you say, Caleb, we're, we're getting all of this. We're getting all of this from Genesis. Yeah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't have to. Well, why did God create? Because it was His plan. It was His will. Why do any of us exist? Because it was God's plan. It was God's will. We can look at any person on the face of the earth and tell them, God put you here for a reason. And Christians are the only ones that can back that statement up. You'll hear so many non-believers when somebody's going through a hard time or whatever, non-believers will tell other non-believers, well look, everything happens in your life for a reason. What? Where are you drawing that from, non-believer who doesn't acknowledge God? Where are you getting this crazy idea that everything happens for a reason if we're just here by accident, there is no God, there is no reason behind our life, 
How dare you tell somebody that everything happens for a reason without acknowledging God as the, as the source of everything happening for a reason? We are Christians are the only ones that can possibly look at somebody and say with the utmost confidence, everything happens for a reason. There is purpose even behind your tears, even beside, even behind your heartache, even even behind your sorrow. There is purpose. So then we come back to that great big question. Well, why do bad things happen anyway? Why is there suffering in the world? And the Christian, again, we're the only ones that can truly say with confidence, let me tell you exactly why there is suffering and bad things that happen in the world today. Sin. We are living on an earth in creation that is cursed because of sin. And then you have the other thing. Well, why do bad things happen to good people? And the Christian ought to be able to come along and gently, lovingly, but also boldly say, there are no good people. There are no good people. There's no such thing. All people are sinners who fall short of the glory of a holy God. Now, I do want to make a distinction because I can tell by the looks on some of your faces and then I know we have conversation, we have our own thoughts. You think, well, that's not what we mean by good. When we say somebody's a good person, we're just saying they try to help people out, they do some good stuff around there. Right. But I'm. you need to be able to work past that. At the end of the day, holy God, holy God, set apart, perfect, cannot tolerate sin, there are no good people. There are no good people. Unless you think that's just my opinion. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside and together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Furthermore, in the Old Testament, what are we told? That even our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. Why? Because we're sinners. So in that sense, in the sense that God is holy and we are not, there are no good people. Bad things don't happen to good people. What I'm about to say is not original to me, so I want to give credit. The first time I heard it, R.C. Sproul, Sproul said it. But why do bad things happen to good people? That only happened once and He volunteered. Jesus Christ was good. He was perfect. And He was crucified. Why do bad things happen to good people? That only happened once and He volunteered. 
You say, well, Caleb, I'm, I'm not sure I really like how that makes me feel. I consider myself to be a pretty good person. I consider myself to be a decent human being. And again, let me simply say this. I get what you're saying. I get where you're coming from. You try to do good. You try to work hard. You try to provide for your family. But that's not the good that we're talking about. That's not the good that Scripture speaks of. There are no good people. Meaning that we are all born in sin. God hates sin. What we as human beings, sinful human beings, what we actually deserve from God is judgment. And yet here we are. All of us this morning are sitting in a church house, hearing from the Word of God. Again, surrounded by millions of people all around us. Some of them believers, some of them not. All of us deserving God's judgment, but why have we not been consumed by His judgment yet? Because in His mercy and in His grace, He is bringing many souls to salvation. Many sons and daughters to salvation. Now, I need to move on. John 1. The last thing that I want to pull out of this, and I want us to see it. This is one of those things that... It doesn't just pop out to us the very first time we read Genesis 1. But I want us to consider some things. We as believers, we would say that we believe in the Trinity. We sang holy, holy, holy this morning. Blessed Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They're all God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Three distinct persons, one being, one God. We read Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If we were to read the rest of the account, we know how He created was He spoke. He said, let there be light. He said, let there be land. Let there be water that separates. Okay, So He spoke. The reason that's important is, John 1, we are told, in the beginning, same three words, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now we know that the the Word in these verses is speaking specifically of Jesus Christ. Later in that first chapter, John describes how the Word came to earth. He became flesh. He took on flesh and He walked among us. So we know beyond a shadow of a doubt when John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he is speaking of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was Christ, and Christ was with God, and Christ was God. He is God. Christ was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Christ. And without Christ was not anything made that was made. You say, Caleb, why is that important? How many of us consider that at the very, at the very beginning of all creation, Christ was there? A lot of times we fall into this trap of thinking, Old Testament is just God. Just God. 
New Testament is Jesus. And Jesus is God. But New Testament, Jesus. Old Testament, God. And let's be honest. The God of the Old Testament was a little bit more angry and mean than Jesus is. A lot of times people fall into that faulty line of thinking. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. How in the world can this be said? How in the world is this true? Because God is three in one. Father, Son, Spirit. Wait, how did God create everything? He spoke. The very Word of God brought all things into existence. So we have God speaking. The very Word of God is Christ the Son. And then what does verse 2 say? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Right in the first two verses of Genesis, paired with the rest of Scripture, once we see later in the New Testament, this idea of the Trinity is opened up for us and we understand that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. Then we go back, we read Genesis 1, 1 and 2 and we think, the Trinity. All three persons of God were there at the beginning. God speaking. Well, the Word is Christ. And John just told us in his Gospel that nothing was made without Him. All things were made through, through the Word, by Him. So, we have God speaking. The Word is there. That's two people. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You've got, we've got the Trinity right there. And so many times, how many of us have been guilty, myself included, will say, oh, I need to read my Bible. I, th- I guess I'll open up Genesis. In the beginning, was, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth without form. Yeah, I know this. I learned this when I was little. Earth without form, void, darkness over the face of the deep, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Wow, that's pretty good. And God said, let there be light. And we just run right through it. Because we think, I know about the creation. I've heard this a million times before. How many of us have ever considered? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm just, I want you to think to yourself. How many of us have ever considered? That we get a a brief glimpse and later on, when Adam and Eve do come along, we see the words, let us make man in our own image. Well, who's God talking to? So that'll come later. We'll, We'll cover that. But right here in the first two verses of Genesis, we get this glimpse and we say, God created the heavens and the earth. But I know for a fact that the New Testament says that Jesus is responsible for all creation. But Jesus is the Word. So, well, that makes sense. God speaks. The Word is there. The Word creates all things. And the Spirit. You've got the Trinity right here in the first couple verses of Scripture. Now, I hope and I pray that by God's grace and mercy that some of us will see that and think about that and God is is granting a sense of excitement and anticipation thinking, wow, this is that's never really hit me before. I've never really looked at it that way before. I've never really seen that before. I've never really I've never really been excited or exuberant to study the book of Genesis or to go over genealogies or to 
I thought that I had a firm grasp on creation, but now I'm thinking there's probably some deeper stuff in there that I really need to be aware of. By God's grace, that desire and that excitement and that joy in studying the Scriptures will be there for us. And I want us all to understand this. Anything, I'll start with me, anything that comes out of my mouth, any right and proper understanding of the Scriptures that I have has nothing to do with Caleb. I don't want any of y'all at any time. Now hear me. I don't want any of you at any time to ever think, well, you know, Caleb Caleb really does a good job and Caleb's really smart. I like how Caleb does stuff. I like that. Mm-mm. Anything right and proper that comes out of my mouth pertaining God's Word is a gift of our holy God. Any right understanding that you have and that you can share with other people, do not ever think for a second, well, I put in the work and I studied and because I did my part, God rewarded me and it's because I put the work in. No, it is because God is gracious and merciful. Do not ever for a second give yourself credit for the knowledge and wisdom of God's Word that you and I possess. It is all a gift. And we ought to be humbled by it. Humbled by it. So as we begin our study in the book of Genesis, I hope and I pray that we grow, that we mature. But again, to go back where I started, we as believers, we are to have a Christian worldview. Meaning that all of creation, all of our existence should be shaped by the fact that God is. And if right now in our lives we can't say that every facet of my existence is shaped and molded by the fact that God exists, then I pray that God would grant us repentance, that we would turn from that erroneous way of thinking, and that we would be brought back into setting our minds and our hearts on things above and fully focusing our affection, our minds, our desires, our life, on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, interceding on behalf of believers. So I pray that God would bless. I pray that He would convict us of sin. I pray that He would encourage us and lift lift our spirits and lift our hearts and minds towards Him. I pray simply above all else, you'll hear me repeat this millions of times during our time together. We pray simply that God would be glorified In all things. In our lives individually. In our lives as a church. That God would be glorified. In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. That's where it all starts. Literally. That's the genesis of all creation. That's where we are starting our study today. And I hope and I pray for many, many great studies together, great times of conversation together, and pray that God would begin to renew our minds and draw us into a right, proper understanding of His Word. Let's pray.